hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chiluminati podcast. The very, very special episode 69. Nice. I am nice. Right. Nice. I, of course, am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined my other two buddies and co-hosts, Alex Fasciane and sex? Jesse Cox. What? What? Uh, what? I just said sex to say hello to you guys because I'm on. It's like when you dress like in a costume for Halloween, you just sex. You just say sex. It's a greeting. Hi, sex. <laughs> okay. That's the origin of you saying that as a greeting. Got it. No yeah. problem. Um, this is a, this is episode is honestly for the listeners. Um, we know that this is a particularly <laughs> Wait, what? special. But I still have to be here. You still have to be here. Jesse. Oh, you're going to be enjoy it as well. So fucking glad that you were here for this. Don't you even <laughs> fucking worry. Right out the gate. You're going to be happy. You were here. This is going to be an orgasm for one's ears. I stop. We need to cut that out. But you know what's an orgasm <laughs> for one's wallet is being able to spend some of your hard-earned cash patronizing the arts that you love so much, <laughs> you know, and that no. you get for free. Okay, so if you want to head over to Patreon.com/slash/TheLuminatiPod mm. after listening to this glorious, sexy little episode that we're about to unleash on your ear holes right now, uh, not only do you get a little extra episode every time <laughs> an episode comes out, fifteen to twenty minutes of us shooting this shit about crazy headlines and whatnot, you also get sick original art, and you also get access to, you know our discord some stuff some stuff that you know you might enjoy as a fan of chiluminati so please head over to patreon.com slash chiluminati pod and sort yourself out we love hearing from you we love your support and we appreciate it and this one this bud is for you Ooh, i like that's such a that's such a tight delivery of the patreon i didn't even write that down that was straight off the dome that's just how naturally gifted you are chilling I, you know, I was born to do it. Shout outs to the guy who says that 10 minutes of each episode is a, is a shill for uh, <laughs> Patreon in our, also, in, in our reviews. It's also, Hey, if you want ad free episodes, that's over at Patreon as well. What it really, you don't even have to listen to the ads that are on the episodes. If you know, nope, all gone, snipped out, neatly stitched together. Nobody notices. That's it's so, great. that's so fair of us. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It's a good thing that guy right. complaining can't see my face. <laughs> All right. You guys ready to do this thing? I am. I'm so fucking ready. That was the longest two 10 minutes of my life. Yeah. Let's go. All right. So last week, if you remember in the Chilupa Cabra episode, I made a promise in the moment live on air that I would take a crack at nailing the 69 vibe this week because it is, as we know, episode 69, the finest show on the internet you know and shout out to all the episodes. dope art that came out of chalupacabra like so fast oh my god dude that little like taco chalupa cabra guy offering you a joint very yeah good stuff it was great i loved it uh but so yeah so i sort of just like realized that i had to do this and i was just thinking all week about what i would do and yesterday as i was doing my research i found myself scouring the internet for another mystery that would Perfectly align all the things that uh, Alex episodes are known for, right? Modern day <laughs> settings with surreal twists, surprising links to classic pop culture, and random bullshit on the internet that probably is not true, you know? <laughs> but not only that, of course, because when you add the extra special sauce of a number like 69 to the mix, that sauce in this case being jizz, expectations what that must happening? be delivered in this episode don't even worry expectations that must be delivered on in this case are so high that the topic Children that i inevitably this, don't they no i, I mean not it's mark is explicit i yeah, mark it as not, explicit they're every not time. supposed to it's on oh, you and they're definitely listening because you, you know mom and dad. kids be it's they're on like, you mom and dad oh, i can't listen so you're i know ruining. how to market i know how to market don't you worry I don't like it's this. on you mom and dad it's on you uh way to be failed parents but yeah so I figured that the 69 episode would have to be all this work. Probably the best episode I've ever done. Like my magnum opus, right? But then, <laughs> you know what? I just thought, you know, fuck that. Here's five of the most interesting stories that I could find on the internet that have to do with sex because 69 is the sex number. And that's what we are. We're just a you bunch of what? children. Uh, I love it. I can't wait to see what you do when we do mini minisode 69. <laughs> I hope that I, I hope that I, I hope that. What what I found for Minisode 69 is as good as what I found for Episode 69. It's not, but I hope that you guys enjoy it just as much. Okay, so this first story, I named all the stories this time because I was having fun with it. Okay, okay. This, this story is called Who Watches the Washmen? Okay, okay, I like it. 
First I'm one. I'm afraid how dirty we're going to get. Yeah. First one, bit of a snack, bit of an appetizer. Okay. Just, just like to the people get you. in the story. Yeah. This one comes from an absolutely true news story from a little newspaper. Maybe you've heard of it called the New York Times. Okay. Apparently, this story comes out of Hanoi, Vietnam. Just a couple days ago, the local police raided a warehouse in an industrial district sized uh, d- uh, industrial district zoned for consumer goods and seized more than 300,000 used condoms that had been boiled, dried, and again put up for sale in southern Vietnam. Okay? So just okay. let that sink in for a second. 300,000 condoms that were used, that were then Gross. washed out by being boiled and then resold and repackaged. That's actually okay. the nastiest thing I could possibly it's, ever think of. First of all, I don't... what. What led them to those life choices to, to to lead themselves to like resold condom industry? Yeah, like when Batman was sitting there contemplating his life and the bat flies through the window and he's like, I will be Batman. It's just like a condom like lands on like the sculpture. <laughs> a dried condom comes yeah. like flying through the window. I don't know. What the, the loop bus- is gone. It's done. It's all dried out. I don't know what the business plan was here, but allegedly... The police found this bizarre sexual nightmare version of Santa's workshops thanks to a tip from a local resident, which eventually led them to raiding it. But no one knows for sure exactly what what went down because they're you know in Vietnam it's not as easy to get details uh, like it is here. Dude, you know the local resident was just an upset com- a customer because he accidentally got his girlfriend pregnant. Dude, I don't even know. Okay, so seemingly that's not even where the mystery ends because uh, <laughs> the police arrested this woman, Pham Thi Tang Ngau. And all she gave them was that they were being paid 17 cents for every two pounds of condoms that they were able to boil, dry and restretch over a wooden penis. And that someone brought all the used condoms in one big batch at the beginning of the month, which they did not let anyone know where they got them from. Just like one person shows up, delivers that month's like condoms. A, a slurpy bag yeah, just, of just jizzed in delivers condoms. Delivers that month's condoms. Uh, what uh, is uh, and then they just and they just process this okay now let me just give you let me just give you an like there were 800 pounds worth of of condoms they pulled out of this place and at that rate okay 300,000 condoms 800 pounds worth of condoms at that rate of 17 cents for every two pounds that's like 68 dollars that's not a lot of money for condoms That's, that's that's not not for that kind of work yeah Uh, And literally, this could also have been going on for decades since nobody knows how many condoms have gone through this place and gone back out into the ecosystem or for how long they've been in business. Okay, Uh, but according to, quote, the sexual health expert and honorary professor, Juliet Richters from the University of South Wales. Here's a quote from her. It's not impossible to wash a condom, but it's never happened to my knowledge on an industrial scale. And that she had no idea if boiling them would impact their effectiveness in any way. So, yeah. Bam. I just, you, I, I have so many questions, but none of them can be answered by anyone here. If you're really paying 17 cents for two pounds of condoms, that's less than $100 for all the condoms in this story. And you're selling them for the price of normal condoms. That's a racket. What led the people to be doing that job? I don't know. What I, led the people to even, and then the people above them to begin the I business in the first I place? I can't even Did, theorize. There had to have been a moment where he pulled out and he was like, he just finished and he had a great time and he looked down at his limp dick with the condom on it and was just like, I what? have an idea. Do you think, do you think that like, this is like a that, problem? Like discarded condoms are like enough of an issue on the street that somebody was just able to like sort of like Johnny <laughs> Appleseed style, like a reverse Johnny Appleseed. They have like a little condom shovel that they run along the side of the street every day. I don't know. Like, how do you get like, it's literally one person dropping all of them off. So like, even though the factory oh is really gross, there's this other person who they did not catch. They have a source. They have to have a source they're going to. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there's another person whose job it is, is to like aggregate all these condoms or there's like a weird sex colony somewhere. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. It could be whorehouses. Nobody knows. It could just be. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Nobody knows what it is. And that's what's crazy about it. That's why it's a mystery. Hashtag 69. That's the one. That's the first story down. We've already gone through 300,000 condoms. So that's how sexy this is. I uh, don't know. (laughs) uh, Were there aliens involved? 
I, you know what? That would make sense. Were there was a like trying to scrape was there like the seed a out. cryptid? Just trying to figure out how this relates to the concept of this podcast. <laughs> this is the sex podcast, okay? There's a mystery. Why? What? There's it's a sex mystery, dude. This is the sex episode, okay? This is a mystery. The mystery is who watches the Washmen? Where are these condoms coming from? Who's cleaning these condoms? Hashtag 69. Right. If you're home and you're going, what is 69? I don't get it. No matter what age you are. I bet your mom's upstairs making a sweet dinner right now, and I hope it's delicious later. Yeah. What? I am entirely uncomfortable with this episode. <laughs> this, next, this, next, this next story is called Stockholm Sucks. Okay? Okay. I, uh, okay. All so right. Now, I so just now, don't want any of this to come back on me when I run for politics later I don't, in my life. I don't, think, oh. I don't think it will. I think you're in the oh, clear this. podcast this. screwed you. It's we're too all, late, dude. We're all in agreement that the warehouse full of condoms is gross and we don't like it. So it's all good. Uh, this next one, we're going to turn up the heat a little bit. Much more disturbing story out of Stockholm, Sweden, which I don't actually think sucks, by the way. I love Sweden and everybody that I know who lives there is absolutely... Fantastic. Uh, the story happened all the way back in 1932. And just as a warning, this one has some murder and some implied sexual violence in it. So proceed with caution. Uh, I based this story off a top 10 article about this case that I found on Listverse. Uh, but I have to give a shout out to a now defunct blog called the Trebuchet or the Trebuchet. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. It's the first time. The first one was right. You uh, got it. Yeah, which is literally credited by every single piece of writing about this that I've ever found online. Uh, I even tried to find an archive of the article, but like the way that the blog works, I it, like won't load the archive. And so with my limited technical knowledge, I wasn't able to actually access the er knowledge, but I did find this list first article that basically probably like plagiarized a bunch of it anyway. So it's all good. Sweet. Okay. Uh, great. <laughs> anyway, back uh, on May 4th, 1932 in Stockholm, Sweden, there was a quote call girl. That's the sex in this story uh, by the name of Lily Lindstrom. Uh, apparently she wasn't like the type of um, sex worker who like walks the streets and tries to bring people uh, upstairs or whatever. She was more like the kind where you like call her and set up a time and you show up at her house and you guys get busy discreetly. Oh, okay. So okay. like a little bit classier of a situation. All right. I um, got you. Uh, but her downstairs neighbor, uh, a little Minnie, barefoot wine waiting for her. Yeah. Sorry. Like literally like that, like that type of vibe. Uh, right, and her neighbor, Minnie Jansen told police uh, she had seen Lily a few days earlier. Uh, when she had come downstairs nude uh, at night, like she often did, asking for condoms uh, when somebody was over. Uh, but after she saw that and she didn't hear from her the next morning, she got worried and she eventually decided to go to the police uh, who, you know, then went to her apartment, didn't get a response. And uh, so they, you know, forced their way in. And when they entered her apartment, they found Lily dead. She was completely Jesus. nude. Uh, she was face down on her bed and she had a uh, used condom hanging out of her anus. So it was a pretty fucked up scenario. What? Oof. Yeah. That that sucks, dude. And uh, if this wasn't already disturbing <laughs> enough. Listen, I know. This. Listen, no, like, that's oh, just. Oh, that sucks, uh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, like, geez. Like, that's pretty terrible oh. right there. Yeah, I hate oh. to see it. <laughs> Oh, nice, 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 like, addition to the story, dude. All right. <laughs> no, like, oh, just, man. Well, I don't know what else that to say. Like, I feel bad. That's, like, an awful way to be found post-mortem. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It was a shocking scene, especially, <laughs> oh, especially. shocking. <laughs> especially for 1930 Sweden. It was a pretty, like, not yeah, common situation. But if this wasn't disturbing <laughs> enough. if just today. Right. But if that scene wasn't disturbing enough, uh, she, she was also the victim of obvious lethal blunt force trauma to the back of the head. Uh, and they found somebody's saliva on her neck and on her body. Uh, but all this of, is before DNA, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all yeah. of her clothes were neatly folded next to her on a chair, which is odd. There was almost no blood at the scene, which was also odd. And her corpse had likewise been almost fully drained of blood. However, the one place they did find some serious blood evidence was on an erroneous gravy ladle. That was also inexplicably found at the scene, which investigators could only conclude was used by the killer to sip up her blood. Oh, okay. God, one of those. Uh, so because of these gruesome details and the fact that this all occurred in the Atlas neighborhood of Stockholm, which is today apparently part of an area known as Vasastan. 
I don't know how to pronounce that mm. for sure. Uh, this unknown good. killer who they never caught has come to be known as the Atlas Vampire. Okay. And right. uh, because Lily was a sex worker and the murder was seemingly so brutal, many comparisons were made at the time to London's famous murderer, Jack the Ripper, uh, another unsolved murderer of uh, sex workers. Um, and just like the Whitechapel neighborhood where his crimes took place, the Sankt Eriksplan area of Atlas was infamous for its abundance of prostitutes and vice and all that type of stuff. And though the details were pretty uniquely weird, the drained blood, the folded clothes, the completely cleaned up scene, unfortunately, yeah. murders and assaults were really common in the area. And actually, Lily was such a common name that when police were going around and trying to talk to people about this, you know, when you when you talk to a call girl, you don't get her last name. Right. So everybody was just like, oh, Lily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's weird. Right. And she wasn't out on the street walking around. So she really didn't, you know, come face to face with anybody who maybe wouldn't want to be found. You know, like you can't go up like, hey, did you have sex with this prostitute and necessarily expect a person to be completely honest with you you know what i mean yeah especially again especially back in those times too right uh but nevertheless the police uh did interview nine men about this crime uh but none of them proved to be a viable suspect uh for various reasons uh, alibis mm. and whatnot and all of them were released and even though they had semen a hair sample fingerprints like saliva it was 1932 yeah. like you said detective work wasn't like, nearly yeah. as sophisticated yeah like, what are you going to do with that in the 1930s? Like, genuinely, I'm trying to think, like, what did they have access to in the 30s to help solve, like, a murder case? Right. I know. Like, it's really like it's really just like about logic and like fingering the person that you think is the most likely yeah. to have done it. Like, just really just being like, oh, uh, it's probably you. And that's like, yeah, and that's I'm like why to- we had courts, you know. Uh, But yeah, that's basically where they left it, though. The thing that's wild to me is that. A lot of this physical evidence is still in the Swedish police museum today and you can go look at it. Oh, wow. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, fucking test it. You know what I mean? There's yeah, like hair. There's true. hair in the. F- I wonder if they could track. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they could track like, at least genealogy or something. something. Yeah. They must have a database a- now. Huh. Uh, huh. But yeah, 69. We did it. One more story down Two two stories down of our five. I'm loving it. Yeah. Uh we're going to mix it up, shake off the, 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 bummer. the, the gross vibes, the murder yeah. vibes. Uh, this next story is called, you know what they say about big feet. Okay. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, so this next story is from 2012. And unfortunately it actually comes from a website that is actually called moron.com. Uh, this website, it makes sense that it's called moron.com though, because this website is kind of like the Darwin awards or something like that, where uh, it like reports on like, criminals that do dumb shit or like people online who like are stupid and, and like say things that don't make sense. You know, that type of website kind of like fail army for your, for your brain. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, But it turns out that we actually have something in common with this website, uh, which is that this story is just too beautifully perfect for either of us to pass up. So we're going to get right into it. I love this story because not only is it extremely like nasty and not safe for work, uh, but it just gets better with like literally every single detail that comes out of it. So you guys are going to help me with this one. Uh, So I'm going to get into it and then I'm going to send you guys some stuff to read. So I am thrilled talking to Bigfoot tracker. From Belfair, Washington, a woman called Nancy Hoggert, that's H-O-G-G-E-R-T, Hoggert, claims that she and Bigfoot have been in a sexual relationship since 2008 yes. and are, quote, trying to start a family. Um, and I got a lot of quotes. Uh, but here's the thing. That's not even the best part of this, because she also goes on to say that when she first met him, it was while she was out, quote, Tending to her marijuana grow. <laughs> okay. I love this woman. So, and now I'm just imagining that the Sasquatch is just a very hairy forest man. You're you'll you'll see. So oh no. So who's gonna so who's gonna read this? Because if you read it, you have to read it like Nancy. Like Nancy. I don't know. Uh, you I have mean, to put on a Nancy voice to read it. That's all. A Nancy Which one of you two voice? schmucks is what gonna is read it? What is a Nancy voice? Like yeah, just, just do, just interpret Nancy. She's in love with Bigfoot and she grows weed 
So, and she's in Washington. All right, I'll give it a shot, dude. All right, this Why is for not? you. This is I don't for have you. any improv training at all compared to the two of you, this is so for you. I need the practice. This is for you, Mathis. All right, I'm ready. Uh, I can read it right out of here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here we go. Yeah. Uh, Take it slow. Big, okay. <clears throat> Bigfoot was standing there eating all the buds off my plants. At first, I wanted to run because he's very scary. But I thought he might eat all my marijuana plants, and that's how I used to make a living. <laughs> I pointed my shotgun at him, and he put up his hand, scared. That's when I looked down and noticed he had a huge erection between his legs. I hadn't gotten any in a while, and well, no. from there, no. it somehow turned into an adult movie. No. <laughs> I don't know if he started or I did. He no. did me from behind, which felt no. great. He was so sweet and caring. He brings me flowers and mushrooms. Holds me while we stargaze. I, I have such a theory about those mushrooms. <laughs> the only downside is that he don't speak English. I have taught him how to say my name, but it's kind of garbled and he mispronounces it. None say. <laughs> so, <laughs> through the magic of a lot of marijuana... And some magic <laughs> mushrooms. This man has convinced this woman that he is Sasquatch. Yeah, and apparently they were trying, like I said, they're trying for a baby. Uh, but as of the articles publishing, which again was back in 2012. Cryptid so it, sex. Imagine how I, insane I know, it I know. This is, this is episode 69. Okay, this is what's <laughs> happening here. Uh, but as of the articles publishing back in 2012, which again was eight years ago, no baby yet. And even though this woman is probably just lying, let's be honest, I almost felt bad when she said that even though she's 52, she's still confident that it's going to work out, that she's going to have this baby. Uh, and she also says she's going to legally change her name to Nancy Bigfoot. That's B-I-G-F-O-O-T. This woman just literally has early onset dementia and is just... But this honestly, man is taking advantage of a, of a woman who has a massive weed garden. Honestly, her changing her name, though, like kind of makes like a fucked up kind of sense if you think about it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the quote, the, the quote continues. So I'm going to I'm going to send this one to Jesse. <laughs> oh, my God. So this is this is just a little bit a little bit of a follow up. Pardon the coughing. Still getting over a thickness. This is you want me to read this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Let's see if I can do the, the Mathis voice. <laughs> Once I'm pregnant, Bigfoot, or John as I call him, and I <laughs> are going to settle down and live a quiet, domesticated life in, a, in my house. He loves living in the forest, but I'm sick of the long distance relationship. I have to commute for three hours to be with my man. It's getting old and gas is expensive. Oh my so she, you know, she's a practical woman, which I like. Uh, <laughs> Does he have a cave that she goes to? I don't know. Like how, where, what is this three hour journey that this forest? Man? I think it's just like this perimeter where he pees, right? That's like how it works. Uh, yeah, he just marked territory of dead grass. Yeah. Uh, and finally, the article asks her about whether or not she'll like go public with Bigfoot. Uh, uh, this, does this not count? Uh, well, no, this is, I mean, like, you know, like bring him to science. Like, ah, I see. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's what and here's what she said. Here, Jess, this is a little bit more for you, Jesse, to read. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. So excited. Uh, <laughs> no, government scientists will just take him and dissect him or try to turn him into a soldier to fight ISIS or something. <laughs> you oh. know how the government is. I do. I do know how the government is. <laughs> the Nancy. dick is too good to give up. Is I what do, I'm hearing with I that do one. know how the government is. Nancy. I, I don't believe any of this <laughs> at all. <laughs> I believe our dear Nancy is getting absolutely gaslit. Okay, but at the same time, at the same time, she says she's definitely planning on selling pictures and fur samples of Bigfoot through her forthcoming website. Well, she needs a gig. Her weed garden's done. Dude, it's yeah, been no, eaten. check it out. Here's the last quote. Uh, what, either one of you. I could, got you. Yeah. Uh, where's, ah, uh, now that marijuana is legal in Washington state, I don't have an income. So capitalizing on my boyfriend's fame is how I plan to make money. What do you mean? Mm. Go, go legal. Open up a store. I don't think this money. is real. I don't yeah. think this is real at all. I, I couldn't. I, I tried to find any evidence of the website. I couldn't find it. Uh, I absolutely had found no evidence anywhere else besides this one story that this is a real story. But I hope that Nancy, wherever she is, was finally able to bear her weird hybrid ape child 
and raise them as she's always wanted, safe in her home with Bigfoot, away from bad old nature. Growing marijuana plants. That kind of sounds like an amazing life, dude. Like a cabin in the woods, mom and Bigfoot dad. You mm-hmm. kind of get a growth spurt really early. You got big, strong muscles, but you, and, and you just have like all the weed you need to keep that Sasquatch rage in check. It's truly the American dream if you think about it. Right? So, I agree. 69. The, right? Is that, is that what? Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Segue. Good segue. Uh, 69. Uh, 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 <laughs> all right. Three Jesse, down. Can you believe people pay us to do this podcast? It's great. It's Not great. Patreon.com. Let me talk about <laughs> patreon.com slash Illuminati pod. A great website you can visit to support <laughs> more shows like this. We had a good like run. This. We had a good 69 episodes. It was a solid run. Most podcasts barely make it to 10. We did great, guys. I'm trying to get us canceled. <laughs> good work, everybody. I, we've, good work. I want to go out on a high note. Uh, this next story is called Who That's Killed... That's episode 420. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just you wait. This next episode <laughs> is called Who Killed Bill? Okay, who okay, killed Bill? All right, all back right. to murder tones, murder uh, taste. Yeah, I'm going to be real. 80% of the reason that I included this one is just because it gave me a chance to use this awful title. Uh, because, of course, based off of the title, you might already have an idea of what this story might be about uh, if you know a little bit about popular culture. But actually, that's kind of the other 20% of the reason that I want to talk about this because the crazy <laughs> messed up way that this case went down Uh, is kind of a modern urban legend at this point. Like a lot of people have heard about this and know about this, at least in some way. And I kind of just want to take a real look at it and see what the actual deal was. And it turned out it's actually super fucking weird. So get ready. Uh, I am ready. Also, yeah, I should say there's a little more death and upsetting sexual scenarios in this one. So, uh, you know, proceed with caution. But if you've already gotten this far in the goddamn episode, I don't know (laughs) what to tell you. This is episode 69 and you're just going to have to deal with it. What? Uh, <laughs> How are you still baffled almost 30 minutes in, Jesse? <laughs> All right, let's get the basics. You keep switching it up on me. This I is know. like when people talk about when you're like, you know, when you work out, you got to like switch it up so your body gets confused. I'm That's trying to work happening. out all the different parts of your sex brain at once. Like, I want to fuck you up. I kind of want to make you like a little bit horny. I want to make you <laughs> scared of the unknown. It's like a whole. I'm not convinced there's horny any horny in this. Short, horny chaluminots could be a dangerous weapon. We could harness the power. Uh, no, nope, I don't think that's happening. I don't think there's anyone out there who's like, this got me. This is the I, episode. Uh, <laughs> hot. My first episode was episode 69, and I was hooked. But then I was let down because none of that. All right. First off, let's get the basics out of the way. Bring it back down just for a minute. David Carradine was an actor with an amazing range of characters. Uh, he was known for over the years. He played Kane on uh, the Kung Fu show in the 70s and then again on the Kung Fu, the legend continues or whatever in the 90s, if you remember that show. Uh, And he played Bill in Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill movies in the early 2000s, hence the awful title of the segment. Uh, And in fact, it was that high profile performance that kind of kicked off his career again in the second half of that decade when he started booking tons of higher profile movie roles like the Chinese gangster Poon Dong from Crank High Voltage uh, and guests, uh, guest spots on TV shows like 11 episodes of Lizzie McGuire, where he actually just played himself. Uh, oh, what a fucking gig, dude. Yeah, uh, but that all ended rather unexpectedly on June 4th, 2009. Uh, while in Bangkok, Thailand, filming a part for the movie Stretch, which wasn't released until 2011 uh, under the circumstances, a quote-unquote chambermaid discovered the 72-year-old actor dead in the closet of his hotel room, completely naked and hanging from a bar in the closet with his hands bound together above his head, his neck wrapped with a golden cord from the curtains, which was also tied to a black shoelace, which was tightly tied around his penis. Nearby on the bed uh, was something resembling women's lingerie. So that was the scene when he was found. I should also uh, mention at this point, uh, if you're one of the people who likes to look into these things after I talk about them, uh, that I was absolutely horrified to discover that not only are his hotel room crime scene and autopsy photos widely circulated online, uh, but they were also printed in color on the front page of a Thai newspaper. Uh, So out of respect for the Carradine family, I really do implore you, please, to do your best to avoid these pictures. I saw them 
without even trying to find them uh, when I was just looking through some forums and stuff. And I really wish that I had not seen them because they are pretty fucked up. So if you do decide to look into this specific case, I just want to warn you that that's like a part of this and you might happen upon it. Uh, So just be warned and do not for any reason, share these on our Reddit, which by the way is r slash pod, because they will be removed. And trust me, we are all having fun here on episode 69, uh, but justice will be swift. So don't do that. Hell yes. Uh, now, at first, this seemed like an obvious suicide, right? You find this guy in the closet hanging. Uh, it's that type of scene. Uh, but after two separate investigations, neither came to that conclusion. Instead, settling on the explanation that Carradine's death was actually just the accidental result of an autoerotic asphyxiation gone bad. All right. Honestly, that's what my immediate thought was as well. That is is like that kind of seems like he's really in some kinky shit and safe words were not exchanged or understood. That is that is the um, that is the sort of like meme about this that everybody knows is that that's how David Carradine went out is that he was found after doing that in a hotel room in Thailand. Uh, But do you guys actually know uh, what autoerotic asphyxiation is do you was one of you guys want to take that uh just to I, uh, explain okay. it to the people i can try because yeah. I, I can't don't wait to I hear know. the math this explanation hey I'm, listen i'm not gonna I go detailed here i'm just gonna say isn't it like choking to the point of like passing out and then or just like up to that point of passing out and then stopping while you're enjoying each other sexually and whatnot well it doesn't have to be an each other thing yeah yeah uh, or, or yourself you can do it yeah, while you're masturbating yourself. the point is that it enhances your orgasm is the is the idea, uh, but it is very very dangerous, uh, and I don't even know. You're I've, just depriving I, your brain of. I've never of tried oxygen. it. I've never tried it myself. I don't know if it actually works. I don't think I will find out if it works. But there's a lot of people out there. Like, let me just to give you an idea. Uh, as of 1995, it was estimated to be responsible for anywhere from 250 to 1,000 deaths per year in the United States alone. So this is a pretty common thing that goes down. Uh, now, does the auto in it, is yeah. that very similar to an autobiography? Yes, that it's it is written, exactly like an autobiography. It's the person doing it to themselves mm-hmm. rather than a loving couple choking themselves <laughs> together. Yeah, exactly. Loving chokes. It's love chokes. Yeah. Look, some people, that's how they express. That's their love language is choke me harder, daddy. And, yeah, that's, and that's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong you know with that. Everybody teach their own. Yeah. Uh, however, I have Call to me. admit, I have what? to admit. <laughs> exactly. Well, what? What? Huh? What? What? <laughs> I get you. Uh, I there there are, however, a lot of things about this case that seemingly do not add up. Okay, like just for starters, how do you engage in breath control play by yourself with your hands tied above your head? Doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. Uh, and what about his brother Keith Carradine, uh, whose lawyer went on to Larry King Live, a fairly prestigious television show? And suggested that a kung fu secret society might be the one responsible for his death, and that a it might be some kind of crazy society? murder plot. Is there any weight to that at all? And what about the broken bone in his neck, and the fact that his hair at the at the crime scene was matted with blood? Uh, in fact, oh, yeah. here is a quote from Hollywood detective Paul Hubel about just that. I've probably seen fifty cases of autoerotic asphyxiations, but none of them involved blood. Most men die this way accidentally. They are not into causing themselves pain until they bleed. So that's his expert opinion on having been at 50 of these types of crime scenes. Uh, And according to his third wife, Gail Jensen, he did actually love to tie himself up. And he had experimented with almost drowning himself in his pool in the past, amongst other things. Uh, But that was never seen amongst him and his uh, and his like significant other to be like embarrassing sexual deviancy, right? Like this was just who he was and it was like part of their life together. Right. And he was fairly open about it. Uh, and in private, at least amongst people who he trusted and happily doing it already at home, which to me kind of implied that though she didn't need to go, that he didn't need to go all the way out to Thailand just to do this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's possible. I guess that he just does this all the time and that, this time he fucked up and died, but it doesn't seem like he, a lot of people think because they heard that it was in Thailand, they don't know that he was there shooting a movie. And so the idea that he would like have to run away to go engage in sexual uh, fantasies that he has is, is not likely, especially like there's all kinds of rumors about David Carradine's sexuality and all of the things that have been going around 
happen just as often in Hollywood as they do anywhere else that he is. So right. it's not like that type of thing. Uh, but in fact, here's a quote about that from his wife. He spent hours doing this stuff. He was really psychopathic about sex. He always wanted to be tied up. It was 1984 when I found him unconscious, hanging from a beam with a belt around his neck. I lifted him down and was able to revive him. He had been playing the same dangerous sex game that I believe killed him. When I finally got him down, David looked at me and said, I'm hungry. I want a sandwich. <laughs> so you can see he's not super bothered by this. You know what I mean? It's like, nope, not very well, not very much yeah. at all. Uh, and though no one else mentioned anything about secret societies per se, other than uh, uh, another one of his ex-wives, Marina Anderson, who basically spent five years or so looking into this and eventually put out a book about him in 2015, has another theory, uh, which he mentioned while on a press tour for that book. Uh, here is a quote from her. This total stranger who tracked me from the internet sent me an article about this other man in Thailand who died under mysterious circumstances just like David. The physicality was very much how David looked. I'm thinking, could this be a serial killer because of the similar circumstances? They look alike, and they're both noted people. The other man was a member of the Apollo navigation team with NASA. He was a former official at NASA. I was shocked. It was shocking to me to see the similarity in the face alone. Then a mutual friend of ours who lives in Toronto said he talked to David a few weeks before he went to Thailand, and David made some flip comment. Yeah, if I ever get back, which we always thought was strange for him to say. I thought David was murdered for theft, but then a source told me there wasn't anything missing. Money and everything was accounted for, but there's still no accounting for the watch that he had that was really expensive. Also, the autopsy pictures show a clear markation around his throat, which you don't get with this type of act, typically. The file is now closed in Thailand, and in that file is the surveillance footage which never made it to the States. I don't think they would ever release it now. I'm hoping that this new book will shed light on something, and maybe somebody will come forward with more information that might prompt officials to reopen the file. All right. So that's her quote. Huh. And uh, though there's no links to it anywhere in that article, I did end up doing some quick research into this NASA guy because that seemed pretty like something that. Yeah, like that'd be like so you, you might know or have heard about. Yeah. And sure enough, it was real. The dude's name uh, was Paul Milford Muller. He was indeed on the Apollo navigation team at NASA, and he was found dead at 76, just four years older than Carradine uh, with, quote, a rope tied around his genitals and waist and another tied around his neck, which was hanging from the knob of his bedroom door. Okay. Uh, however, huh. I definitely would not say that they look super similar to each other uh, beyond being two tall, slim, sort of older, healthy looking white dudes. Uh, and this guy was also found with paraphernalia for injecting crystal meth, five methamphetamine pills and several sex toys around him. Huh. So possibly the vibe in his case was somewhat different. I don't know. Uh, really wouldn't call this evidence so much as I would call it. Marina Anderson wasn't totally just pulling something out of her ass. Right. But it is there interesting that it does exist and is real. Uh, Anderson also claimed that a source in the L.A. coroner's office told her that the pressure abrasions found on his neck were, quote, usually part of strangulation by another party and that the laces they found tied to his penis were not his shoelaces and that there was a red oval mark on Carradine's left forearm that could have possibly been a defensive wound. Okay. Uh, and mm. according to Paul Hubel, the Hollywood detective, uh, this isn't such a crazy theory. Here's another quote from him. He says, Carradine was a 70, he, Carradine was 72 years old and impaired by alcohol. He would have been easy to take down with one killer choking him from behind while the others tied his hands and grabbed his watch. Uh, and, Nobody really knows the truth, but there's evidence on both sides of this story. And that is the curious case of David Carradine. And I will leave the conclusion up to you. 69. <laughs> what, a, what a bookmark. That's a weird one, though. It's vexing, right? Like some of the stuff you're like, yeah, how the fuck? Like just I don't. I mean, look, I've never done it. I don't know. Maybe like it's obvious how you do this, but like. I'm, I'm sure someone will let us know. I'm just trying to think of how from <laughs> over his head with his with his hands tied. And again, let me tell you that I know for sure that that's how it was because I saw his fucking dead body. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, like it just doesn't make it doesn't seem like he would be able to do anything to himself. He wouldn't be able to get down there because he was literally hanging from his hands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, definitely more seems like foul play now. 
now that all the details I don't know like a lot of experts are like it was obviously just accidental autoerotic asphyxiation death but a lot of experts are also like it's weird uh huh but yeah now for the real meat of this episode okay the grand finale that was just appetizers those are all that was just my that was my tasting menu Okay, oh, I think I have this a is, piece of cornbread here yeah. I can eat while you do this. This is the real meat, okay? The grand finale, you might say, okay? As this mm. is the only story that I was working on before I knew I was going to do a sex episode, okay? This is an insane story of cruelty, deception, and intrigue that all began with an alleged act of adultery, which is sex, which is why it qualifies for this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the main event is called Murder She Literally Wrote. Shout outs to the True Crime Times for this story. Which oh, is, I thought you were about to be like, to Jessica Fletcher for <laughs> solving all those crimes in that small, sleepy town. Shout outs to Angela Lansbury, my waifu. Uh, or no, okay. Shout outs to the True Grand Crime. Waifu. The True Crime Times is where I got this story. Uh, and this story is actually kind of a hometown mystery for you, Jesse, uh, because it all started in Ohio in 1976. <laughs> In a little town called Circleville. Uh, I actually where, know where Circleville is. Yeah, where all of a oh, sudden, wow. where all of a sudden, various residents started getting some pretty scary letters in the mail, written in weird, tall block handwriting, and which contained startling details about their private lives that no one else knew. But it was Mary Gillespie, a local school bus driver, who became the letter's primary target in the summer of 1977 when she first got a letter accusing her of having an affair with the superintendent of her school district, a man named Gordon Massey. Okay. And not only that, but whoever was writing these letters also said that they'd been keeping a close eye on her house and her family and her daily routine in a way where it felt very threatening when they demanded that she break off the affair immediately. And I actually have a quote from one of those letters right now, which are always written kind of in a weird sort of like Zodiac style. Mm, okay. Stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke, which I guess rules out the Joker. Please take it serious, which I guess implicates the Joker. Everyone concerned has been <laughs> notified and everything will be over soon. Okay. Uh, at first, she tried to keep the letters a secret from her husband, who was called Ron. Uh, but then he got a letter too, which not only told him about this affair, this alleged affair that went down, but also warned him that if he didn't take it up with the Westfall school board, that he would end up dead, which was especially fucked up because when he went to his wife about it, she denied that there was even an affair in the first place and that it was all just like some shit from these letters, right? Uh, but they were so worried about rumors spreading and getting around and affecting her job because again, she works for the school board. She's like a bus driver. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> they tried to not let anybody know about the letters for as long as possible to see if maybe it would just be like some weird thing that happened that would maybe blow over. Right. Uh, spoilers, though, they did not blow over. Uh, and two weeks <laughs> later, more letters showed up in the mail, this time threatening them that that this person was going to send stuff into the news about this and rent billboard space in town in order to make the affair public knowledge. So Mary and Ron finally decided to do something about this and went to a man called Paul Freshour, uh, whose husband, Karen, okay. was Ron's sister, uh, and told them that Mary Gillespie thought it was possibly another bus driver that she worked with who was doing this, uh, a guy called David Longberry, who was writing all the letters because he made a pass at Mary recently at work and got mad at her when she rejected him, Right. You're trying to get her to have an affair with him, and she, and she was not there. into it. Yeah. However, instead of going to the police or talking to the FBI or whatever a normal person would do, they had the plan to have Paul Freshour write David Longberry a letter saying that they knew it was him writing the letters and that he needed to stop writing them or else. Okay? So that's what they did. And after several weeks with no letters, they were like, okay, this totally worked out. This is awesome. But... Just as they were ready to put this weirdness behind them and get on with their lives, someone started literally posting signs around town, like big block letter signs around town. But now the story had changed slightly. Instead of Mary herself having the affair with the superintendent, now they were the things were saying that her 12-year-old daughter had sex with the superintendent. And eventually, Jesus. this the amount of signs that was showing up got so bad that Ron, the dad, her husband, 
would literally have to get up early in the morning before she went to work and drive around town and take down all the signs before his daughter would like have to see them on her way to school and all her classmates would have to see them on the way to school. So that's like where they were at. This is like extremely awful. Like stalker. It is like stalker. Yeah, like behavior. true stalker behavior. Uh, but then on August 19th, 1977, shit got taken immediately to the next level. Because Ron, the husband, got a call that night from someone who seemed to be the letter writer on the phone telling him that he knew where he lived and that he could recognize his truck. However, now that Ron had actually heard the dude's voice, he thought he knew who the guy was, grabbed his gun, and stormed out of the house in his car. Unfortunately, it was only a few minutes later that Ron's truck was found crashed at the end of the street. And when somebody finally got down there to check, Ron was literally dead at the wheel, likely killed instantly in the crash. Though apparently, judging by his gun, he had managed to fire off one single shot before the accident, but nobody was able to find a bullet casing. There was obviously no shot person laying anywhere, uh, so it was hard to tell exactly what went down. Um, And also, amazingly, Ron's blood alcohol was 0.16, which as we all know is like twice the legal limit. It's legal, yeah. Uh, And though police initially suspected foul play in his death, I guess that the BAC was like enough for them to write this off as like drunk driving and not much else was done on their part uh, after that point when Ron died in that accident. However, the Gillespie's maintained that Ron was not a heavy drinker. Okay. And the idea that he would just go and do something like this after working himself up into a drunken rage just didn't track with the kind of guy that Ron was to them. Right. It's not his personality. It's not his character to do something like this. Right. But according to the chore, yeah, I, I can also see though, like even while somebody, like, even me, a mile, like having to do that every morning and, and just like I get weeks it, yeah, like months, the straw, right? I'd be on the edge, you know, like every just day, ready yeah. to fucking explode. I definitely would not be happy about it. But as somebody who's yeah. often on the edge these days, I, I empathize. But, uh, but according to the police, they had also grilled an unnamed suspect fairly hard about the strange situation surrounding Ron's death. Uh, but when he passed a polygraph test. They just let him go and they took Ron's truck and they did that thing they do at the junkyard where they like make it into a rectangle. (laughs) And so it was impossible to do more forensics on the truck at that point. Which is also kind of weird for the cops to do, right? Yeah. Uh, But then, of course, the letters start showing up again. And people around Circleville are getting letters and being told that Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe had covered for whoever actually killed Ron and that he had also bungled the investigation into the Pickaway County coroner, a man named Dr. Ray Carroll, who was accused of sexual abuse by more than one kid. Okay, so this is a new information coming out in these letters. Jesus. And also out of nowhere, Paul and Karen, uh, Ron's sister and uh, and her husband, right, Paul. Uh, filed for divorce. The two people that helped them write the letter to the first guy they thought it was, right? They mm. filed for divorce because Paul found out that his wife had been cheating on him. And because of that, Paul was able to get full custody of the kids. He was able to get the house. And Karen now ended up moving into a trailer in Mary's backyard, which was definitely oh, super weird, uh, but nowhere near as strange as the next big revelation, which maybe you all thought w- was probably coming in the first place. Turn. Okay, and now you've got me on, on edge. I'm I'm edging I'm here ready. on episode 69. As it turns out, Mary and the superintendent had been having an affair after all. And once Ron died, she admitted to such, though weirdly she maintained that they only got together after being forced together because of the letters. Like their combined trauma of going through this stalking or whatever, like made wow. the prophecy come true according to them and no huh. one and no one could say for sure whether or not she's being real about that because the whole thing went down in secret anyway and the superintendent refuses to comment on it at all in any way right oh lord and all this is going on suddenly five years have passed right and yet more and more signs just keep appearing along Mary's bus route every day on her way into school until she this can't is take part it of living in this town now five years yeah. ago and it's just this Hey, welcome to the town. Hey, yeah, there's a weird stalker every once out in a there. While, he knows. Yeah. Every once in a while, just like a shitty sign shows up, right? Good Lord. And she, until she can't take it anymore. And on February 7th, 1983, with a bus full of kids on standby, oh, she oh. pulls over, goes to rip one of these signs out of the ground. And once she gets there, 
Luckily, before she touches the damn sign, she notices that the fucking thing has a booby trap on it. And then attached to the pole holding up the sign is a small box. And inside it is a small pistol that has been rigged to fire when you pull the sign out of the ground. Oh, my God. (laughs) And even more interestingly, who did the gun end up belonging to? But her ex-brother-in-law, none other than Karen's husband, Paul Freshour, who at this point, Mary and Karen were pretty sure had been behind this thing from the beginning. And so again, they went to Sheriff Radcliffe with the info. Okay. So now, so now they have this. This whole, is this, amazing. This is getting this is amazing. This is, this is a man who literally read like Batman comics and was just like, yeah. you know what? <coughs> he, he, they have, they have great tactics. It's fucking insane. So they bring this dude in. Finally, Paul. They run handwriting tests on this guy. They had him show them where he kept his gun that was in the box. And he said that he didn't know how the gun got in the box, but that somebody had already stolen this gun once. So he thought maybe somebody knew where it was and that it was possible that they'd taken it again. But that wasn't enough to get him off the hook. And he was arrested and charged with the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Okay. Uh, And this was in February of 1983. He goes to trial October of the same year. And even though 39 letters are admitted as evidence in his trial and the handwriting expert testified that he believed Paul did write the letters and Mary took the stand and also corroborated that fact, he still wasn't charged with writing them. Okay, he didn't get charged with writing letters. And in fact, Paul was pretty sure at this point that he had this whole thing in the bag, thanks to the fact that he actually had an alibi for the day where the sign with the gun on it showed up right so he thought he was like in the clear and so he didn't even take the stand uh but because of that he ended up being convicted of attempted murder he received the maximum sentence of 7 to 25 years and he wasn't paroled until uh 1994 which was 10 years later uh maintaining his innocence the entire time here's a quote from paul he said i can't blame the jury because the jury didn't hear all the evidence but i just couldn't believe it i was really in shock Okay, but here is an even crazier element of the story. How? How? Did this How? man kidnap his own Robin and beat him into submission no. to turn him into his, his Joker? No, but guess what did not stop happening? Letters. Letters. Signs. That's right. Everybody thought that once Paul was in jail, that there would be no more letters because at this point, everybody, there's like no reason why you shouldn't be convinced that this guy's writing these fucking letters, right? There's like no way. His handwriting matched the letters. Uh, but sure enough, all over central Ohio, people are getting letters and there's literally no way he could be sending them while he's in prison. Uh, so now the letters are starting to target the prosecuting attorney, Roger Klein, uh, and threaten to send the exhumed remains of a dead baby to the police if the cops did not look into Klein's involvement in the murder of a pregnant teacher who the letter said that he had killed after accidentally getting her pregnant. OK, so that's the new subject of the letters. And in response, and also in sort of disbelief at this point, within the prison, Paul was actually moved to solitary confinement. All of his letter writing like possibilities were removed. No pens, no paper, nothing. All the mail that was going in with his name on it and going out with his name on it were literally checked. He got his privacy revoked, basically. Uh, but still, the letters kept coming. And then Paul himself gets a letter. Uh, which is written in a series of bizarre statements separated by colons. And I'm going to read an excerpt from that letter now. Fresh hour. Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha. Ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha. Ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? So I don't know what the fuck that means, right? But that's a real yeah, letter no, that I he don't got. get it. I looked at the actual letter, right? I saw this letter. It's a real letter. This, did he say anything about this? Was he like, let me tell you what this is really about? Well, here's the fucking thing, right? This is the even crazier part again. After this, Paul was literally a model prisoner for seven years. He was in jail Just like not causing any trouble, making himself useful, doing whatever he could to put himself in a good light. But once he was eligible for for parole, it literally took him years to get approved because the board kept rejecting his request because they kept getting fucking letters. 
even though Paul was in Lima or Lima, I don't know how to pronounce that town in Ohio. Lima, Ohio. Well, yeah. But, so if they have the evidence that it's not him doing it. Yeah. And the letters are coming from Columbus and not Lima, right? Like they're postmarked from Columbus. Is he, is, are they saying like he's do, making his family do it for him or something? You can't like say that, right? Like you can't be like on the board and be like, no, I think you are doing this crime that you so weren't charged. Yeah. So why are they keeping the guy? I don't know. And even more insane, there was another bus driver who came forward in this time who said that just before Mary pulled over and found the gun on the sign, like maybe 20 minutes before that, they were passing by on their bus route and at the same intersection going the other way. And they saw a yellow El Camino parked at the same intersection where the sign was. And that next to the car was a large man with sandy blonde hair who looked like he was taking a piss. Okay. And like I said, uh, Paul eventually a couple years later was released on parole in 1994, uh, which was also when the letters finally actually did stop was in 1994. And Paul maintained his innocence until he finally died at age 70 in 2012. Okay. Damn. So now the question you're probably left with right now is who the fuck was writing the letters then? And where were they getting all of this information? Yeah, that's a hell of a, a thing to know. This article that I read, which again was from the true crime times and put together by Julie Fiddler. Okay. Shout outs to Julie investigates a few of the claims made in letters. And here's what she found. Okay. Turns out that that lawyer that they were talking about, Roger Klein, actually was investigated for allegations that he had gotten a teacher pregnant and murdered her to advance his career. But it didn't seem to hurt him very much because he eventually became a judge of the appellate courts and retired in 2013. No surprises there. Uh, He's just like an old white man from the middle of the country. Uh, And apparently the police also spoke with the parents of the dead baby uh, that the writer of the letters threatened to dig up. But the only place that she heard about this was from a local Ohio TV station that claims to have spoken to the family against the wishes of the police, which seems kind of sus to me. Yeah, that's so she puts forth her own version of that theory here in another quote from her that I just want to read really quick because she puts it really clearly. I've not been able to find that claim about the baby's family anywhere else, and it doesn't make sense. Maybe my brain is only working at half power, but wouldn't the murdered school teacher have been the mother of the dead baby? What would a random deceased baby have to do with Klein and his affair with a school teacher? As for the parents interview, I can't find that either. So it's more likely probably that there's some wires getting crossed there. And that little piece is unclear. A little misinformation trickling the wrong way. But apparently the letters were totally spot on about the Pickaway County coroner who actually was charged with 12 counts, uh, eight of which were alleging, uh, which were quote, alleging the doctor of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure. What a piece of shit. And possibly not related, but still worth mentioning here. Uh, remember the bus guy, David Longberry, who Mary initially pegged for the letter writer after she rejected his uh, advance? Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. He ended up raping an 11-year-old girl in 1999 and went on the run as a fucking fugitive what she was still apparently doing okay at up until 2005, because that's the last time anybody could heard of him. And he still was at large at that time. And also Roger Klein, the lawyer guy was listed as a deceased sex offender. So maybe he did go down for something eventually, even though it's not exactly clear when he died either. So it's pretty weird. God damn. So was Paul the letter writer, Paul Freshour, the guy who went to prison for this? Nobody really knows for sure. But Paul did everything he could himself while he was alive to make his case, even going so far as to make a website. And he has a big PDF on that website that's called The Full Story. And I'll post that uh, right after this episode goes live. I'll give it a little while because I don't want to spoil it. But I'll post it on the Chiluminati forums uh, shortly after. Chiluminati archives. Yeah, on on Reddit. uh, A little after the episode goes up. If you want to like read through it, it's like pages and pages of like, photocopies of documents uh but really this website is not super definitive in any way uh and it has lots of quotes from ron uh or from paul on it uh like this one uh which which fiddler found listed under the heading facts that can be confirmed so because this isn't exactly that take this however you will this is this is from paul the guy who was in jail I believe that the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters were concealed because they would interfere with Sheriff Radcliffe becoming the National Sheriff Association's president. See the date of the letters and the date of his involvement with the National Sheriff's Association. 
The crime rate in Pickaway County at that time would have eliminated him from this appointment. Right. So it's not a lot to go off of there, but there's like, at least that explains maybe why they weren't so eager to solve the crime. I don't know. Uh, Slight motive to what, yeah, exactly. But here is the theory that this article gives the most weight to now. And I tend to agree with it, especially because it includes testimony from a journalist called Martin Yant, who spent a lot of time investigating this case. And the OP of this post actually claims to have spoken to this person uh, who has a fairly unique perspective on the events. Like he's pretty close to it. Uh, So imagine that the bus fugitive guy, David Longberry, really did start writing these nasty letters to Mary like she thought he was. Okay, let's just assume that that's true. This kind of makes sense if you think about it, because the first letters only went to Mary and Ron. They were only about an affair with the superintendent. And that's like where its focus was. Right. But then imagine that Ron also like had it in his brain that he knew that it was this guy, David Longberry. Right. Writing the letters so that one day after maybe tying one too many on getting one too many phone calls, just like we were saying, maybe he actually does just get so pissed that he can't take it anymore. He decides to go out and go after the guy in his truck with his gun and then say he actually does just fuck up and like crash his car and die completely by chance. Let's just say that happens, right? Uh, Doesn't explain where the missing bullet went, but if you're considering that scenario, there's a million ways that bullet could have come out of that gun, especially considering the situation could have maybe fired it Maybe he was still alive in the car towards the end and he fired it into the air to try and call somebody towards his position to help him while he was bleeding out. Maybe he was just like hype and he like fired a shot out the window or at some point. Just, yeah, riding that alcohol high. Yeah, you know, like just lets him steam off, something like that. But either way, the fact that his family says he wasn't really a drinker actually kind of makes sense in this case because it explains why and how like he got so fucked up with a BAC of 0.16. I mean, that's a fairly that's high cool. BAC anyway, but if you're not a drinker and you're at 1.16, you're going to be like fucking shazonked. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going to be doing okay, right? Uh, but now, remember what happened next, okay? Paul and Karen get divorced and Karen moves into Mary's backyard in a trailer. But imagine that if to get revenge on Paul for ending things... She started putting up the signs around town again with the express purpose of framing Paul for the crime of writing the letters and maybe even booby trapping them on purpose to try and pin that attempted murder charge on him too. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a a hell of a, I know it sounds at first like a lot for somebody to go through just to get back at someone that they cheated on. I wasn't going to say, I wasn't going to say impossible though, (laughs) because people lose it. Right. And she, but the thing that's weird about it is that she was the one who cheated. Right. So like, it's weird that she would be the one who's so angry. But if you think about it, but if you think about it, uh, first of all, according to journalist Martin Yant, he says, quote, that Karen was a very, very angry, manipulative woman who was still planting negative stories about Paul in the early 90s. And if you think about it, Paul did end up with the house and full custody of the kids after the divorce, which like when you're sitting in a trailer behind your like dead brother-in-law's house, you're probably not feeling great. Yeah. Life's not on the, on the up and up right at that moment, but that alone would be completely circumstantial. All of this still is circumstantial, but there is one other detail, which is that Karen's boyfriend and eventual second husband was a tall dude with Sandy blonde hair and also had access to an El Camino, just like the one the witness saw on the side of the road because of a family member who had that exact fucking car. Okay. Uh, And finally, last point, many of the letters were actually typed letters and not handwritten. And the original poster of this theory has some insight about that, which I'm going to read right now. Paul's ex-wife, which was Karen had asked Paul's sister if she could use a typewriter that Paul had loaned to her because she was planning on writing a book. The sister was confused because she never knew what his ex-wife, she never knew his ex-wife to be a typist. And because they were going through a divorce at the time, found it odd that she would want one of Paul's items. His ex assured the sister that Paul was okay with it. So she relented and let her use it. 
Not so coincidentally, was there a typewriter used in some of the letters that the people in Circleville had been receiving around the same time. Aha! (laughs) So yeah. It all comes together in the end. No one knows for sure who the Circleville writer is. Allegedly. (laughs) But whoever wrote this theory, Martin Yant, Julie Fiddler of the True Crime Times, and now me, myself, all think this is a pretty probable series of events, and you can take that however you will, because again, Hmm. nobody fucking knows. Hmm. Doesn't answer every last question out there, but it wouldn't be a mystery if it did. And that is it, gentlemen. Episode 69, the sex episode. In the books. I hope it was everything you imagined. The end. Bam. It was uh, that and more. I came close multiple times. I appreciate it. I don't know what the hell you just said, but uh, I think it's amazing that uh, you ended on such a high. Like that last story was great. Um, it's like, uh, when you tell someone they just have to watch the first season of something and then it gets really good. That's what this episode was. <laughs> you know what it was? You know what it was? Foreplay and then the main event, baby. That's episode 69. I know how to give That's it to right. him. Keep it together. You got baby. us all aroused. Then you took it home. Alex happened and we- it to you. Yeah. I'm like X in that song. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. We got to go do a mini sode. We're, uh, we appreciate your support over at Patreon and all the stuff. And if you're listening to us and you want to drop us a review, please do. We're well on our way to 1,500 reviews over on iTunes, still maintaining that five-star average. Ooh. We love you. It's sexy. Not anymore. Um, you, Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, episode 69. I don't know. I have a feeling it's going to do great. If you guys want to reach out to us, you can do so on social media at Pod for the actual show. Each one of us is uh, independent. I am Mathis Games. Jesse's at Jesse Cox. And Alex is at Fossiana A. And of course, a subreddit where you can drop your stories, dreams to be interpreted. Upload a video of yourself pouring one out for Nancy and her Bigfoot husband. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. If you want to buy a 40 and pour it out for Nancy and Bigfoot, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. Maybe the Boston baked bean boy will show up. Pour it onto the baked. Pour pour a 40 onto the baked bean boy for Nancy. Don't do that. You don't want him drunk. He'll be crazy. You don't want him drunk. He'll be crazy. (laughs) That's when he steals your illegal. That's that's when he. That's when he starts committing crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Peace. And there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.